Hi, everybody. I'm Lonnie Lowry. I'm a nutrition professor. I'm a weightlifter. I'm one of the co-hosts of IronRadio.org. I am Robert Fortress Fortney, journalist, strength athlete, former competitive bodybuilder, and all-around strength athlete. And uh, I'm Charles Staley. I'm creator of Escalating Density Training, uh, author of Muscle Logic, and I'm also a competitive master's weightlifter. Uh, I'm Phil Stevens. I'm a powerlifter strongman, uh, state national record holder, also the founder of Lift for Hope. And uh, today I, I'll try and do our guest justice and uh, read this bio that's just littered with achievement. Um, He's been involved in powerlifting for more than two and a half decades as a world-class participant, coach, and consultant. Holds elite status in three weight classes with best lifts of uh, 935 squats, 740 deadlift, 6'10 bench press, and a 2205 total. Has logged more than 10,000 hours of personal training and strength consultant sessions with professional elite and novice athletes, as well as professional and university strength coaches. He's conducted hundreds of seminars and clinics nationwide written more than 100 articles on strength training, earned a Lifetime Achievement Award in 2005 from the Society of Weight Training Specialists. Oh, the founder of Elite Fitness, a successful business owner. Um, he's outfitted arguably the best training facilities on the planet. He's also a business advisor, a motivational speaker, author of the 2005 book Under the Bar, 12 Lessons from Life Powerlifting, and uh, stop it off, he's a father and a husband. Win. <laughs> I give you Dave Tate. <laughs> Thank you. I'm kind of honored to meet myself. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Hey, now I you mean, got I... one more thing to tack onto your resume. There yeah. you go. You know what, you guys, I feel I feel stupid. I, I've never said father and husband, and now, you know, I'm going to get punished here at home for that. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, good Lord. Okay. Dave, thanks for joining us today. Thank you for having me. Yeah. Um, shoot, I don't even know where to start. I mean, I'm just going to let her rip and kind of, uh, I know all the, the webcast listeners just, they want to hear you. So, I mean, let's, uh, let's start off there and maybe, uh, you can tell us what, what Elite Fitness has coming up for us in the second quarter here as we get into it. Let me, um, I'm going to actually try to do something here really quick with my phone because the head's yeah. turned out. Hold on. Sounds good. Yeah, it sounds like we got some dogs attacking. All right. Is that better? Yeah, sounds good. Okay, okay. I'm hearing like static or something on your end. Um, so the question was, um, can you repeat that again for me, please? Yeah. Um, so, I mean, we all know that you're busy all the time, and I mean, anybody that follows you on, you know, the various media, Facebook and all that, you're, you're constantly doing something. What's on the docket for Elite Fitness in the second quarter? Oh, uh, God, and the survival. You know, the same thing everybody <laughs> else is dealing with when it's an economy. Yeah. So it, it's... Actually, the second quarter for us is more or less just kind of putting the plan into action. So the first quarter was um, reestablishing and recreating systems of operation um, because, in, in short, you know, without being a long dissertation, anybody who's using the same systems that they were using last year when the, or in the year before is going to go out of business this year if they're using the same systems. It's just a given. Um, the economy's changed. Consumer spending's changed. The way people look at things, the way people buy, everything's changed, which pretty much means that every system of business has to change. So for the first quarter, pretty much that's what we were doing, is changing the, the way we, basically the way we do everything that we do. Um, and now the second quarter is the big test, you know, to see if it all works. And, um, you know, if we did our homework right and we made the right decisions, then everything will work fine. So... We're not we're not hurting as a company. We're you know we're not growing. We're staying the same as, which is pretty much the best anybody can, who is in retail can probably hope for at this point in time. So we got a solid plan. So the second quarter is exciting for us because the stress is kind of alleviated because the planning is usually where the most stress comes from, yep. um, and now it's just putting all the plans into action, which is actually the the execution part is the part that I like the most. So. You'll see a lot of uh, new products. You'll see a lot of different things. You'll see a lot of different services that we're going to come out with um, th- that will be a result of the plans that we've been doing in the first quarter. Nice. Uh, along the sides of change, I mean, I know you've, you've mentioned several times in, in articles and interviews that uh, you see a shift coming in, in fitness facilities and probably going to more smaller training centers. Um, it's already happening. 
yeah. it's already happening. It's just there's there's going to be a gap, and the problem is, you know, a lot of the small private. <clears throat> what I was originally thinking was a lot of the small private training centers that are out there right now, say, uh, warehouse weight rooms and so forth. You know, I was kind of thinking that. I made an assumption that they were going to make it through this year. Most of them aren't. Um, what I see is going to happen is, you know, the, the Olympic weightlifters are pretty, they were ousted out of gyms years and years ago. Power lifters over the past 10 years have slowly been ousted as well. But see, the commercial gyms are strategic in how to do this. You know, they'll just remove chalk or they'll start saying no deadlifting. And then it gets to the point where they start having alarms if you grunt. Um, all that's pushing, you know, the powerlifters out, which is kind of where we've specialized and had our little niche is setting up these little garage, warehouse, 5,000-square-foot warehouse, you know, different-sized warehouse, private training centers, you know, with the most hardcore equipment that they can have. It should take a pounding from these athletes, and that just kind of stemmed into you know, universities and so forth. The um, The only other group that has to leave or it has to be kicked out are going to be the bodybuilders. You know, once the serious bodybuilders are kicked out, then they got to go somewhere. Yeah. You know, and then where they'll filter down to is going to be these basic hardcore facilities. But some things have to happen in the meantime. You know, those facilities need to first off stay in business, which hopefully with, with my hope is that a lot of them do because most of them are basically breaking even right now just as key clubs with 15 or 20 guys pitching in for the rent. But when half those guys are getting laid off and, you know, the rent can't be made, then there's a problem. Um, the other thing that's going to have to happen is they're going to have to outfit their facilities to accommodate the people who will be coming in, you know, because the bodybuilders and other serious training athletes are going to want a lot of things that maybe these facilities don't have, which could be some machines. It could be kettlebells. Hell, it could be strongman equipment. You know, it's all depending upon what that market is. But I definitely see that shift happening, and it's more or less, it's not really a shift forward, it's a shift backward. You know, it's kind of going back to how it all started. The commercial gyms are still going to do what they're going to do. All right, they're still going to sell their short-term memberships, as which I call them. You know, and they're, they're going to rely on customers that have a short lifetime value. Um, that's where they make their market, or that's where they make their money is on the um, not repeat customers, but on just an outrageous number of new customers. Right. Are coming uh, yeah, and making, making the sale of people that don't show up. You know? <laughs> yeah, well, exactly. I mean, that's what they want, you know, but where they're missing the target and where I think some of the smaller clubs can really capitalize on this is the, the, the big chains, they're not, looking at the li they're not looking at the lifetime value of a customer. Even a big chain could very easily put aside a thousand square foot and frickin' wall it off, you know, soundproof it, put a door or whatever it is. Because when you look at a lifetime value of, well, let's not just speak a competitive powerlifter. Let's just, I'm retired. I mean, most of us are all retired. We just train because we love it. Just look at our own training histories. You know, if, if we didn't have our own places like we do now, how long did we stay in the clubs that we were at? I mean, if you found one you liked, you weren't leaving. You'd stay there for 10 years. Well, yeah, that's a, I was going to say, it's such a great tidbit for any big gym owners listening in right now. You know, accommodate the more serious lifters. You know, as, as Dave said, you know, give them 1,000 square feet and wall it off and let these people, you know, take advantage of your place. You know, it's not always that hard to do that either with a back room or a side room or something, you know? No, it's just, it's, it's a matter of, it's really more than that. It's looking at the lifetime value. I mean, I, I don't know gym memberships you know, that much, but let's just say it's $500 for a year. Well, your average member stays for maybe a year contract, and then they're gone, and then most of them try to get out of that and usually successfully do. These guys are staying for 10 years. Yeah. So right there you got a lifetime value of $5,000. They never train alone. They always got a training partner, so there you can double that. Eight, what, 20% of your clientele brings 80% of your business because of the return business and that the whole kind of club I ran the numbers one time at one of the last seminars, and we came up to just the average lifter who trains with a group of three guys, you know, average power lifter, has a lifetime value of about $47,000 to a gym. And that's based upon referrals 
T-shirts, advertising, and everything else. Now you compare that to the to the the, the market they're really trying to serve, which is the the January you know fitness buff. They're getting two hundred fifty bucks out of that guy. But when they run the numbers and they're not stupid, there's a lot more of those two hundred fifty dollars that they want. But I think actually you know both markets can be served. They would just rather not do it. So if all these people need a thousand square foot, well, that's why all these small little training centers are popping up all over the place. And this last year, it's been a little bit. They're still popping up, but they're not popping up like they were two years ago. They were popping up left and right. I mean, every day we were making quotes out for something like that. Well, I think the um, problem is that you know these big gyms that do that. I mean, that's that's all well and good, but I mean, they're fearful of of how their you know uh, mainstream clientele are going to you know interpret. These behemoths coming in, making making a mayhem, you know, and I think that's the. You word. know the funny thing, the funny thing with that, and I hate to interrupt you because I I hear this all the time. I hear that all the time, but you know who I never hear it from? The members. Yeah. Because when you talk <laughs> to people on the street, listen, now just think about this: when you talk to people on the street, or you're talking to your aunt or whoever it is, you know, Easter's coming up, so I guarantee the conversation's going to come up. They're always going to say, man, there's this one really big dude in my gym, man. He's lifting all kinds of weights. They never say anything bad about these guys. Exactly. I mean, that's like we were, we were talking to John Godina a few weeks ago, and he's got average people coming off the street now to join his gym just so they can train next to Olympic athletes and Olympic and powerlifters and whatnot. They, they want to be yeah. in that environment. What well, <laughs> helps, too, is with a, with a bodybuilder or a powerlifter or somebody who's been around for a while, I'm talking 10, 15 years back when people used to actually help each other out for free. Um, they'll offer advice. I mean, if, if somebody asks a question, they'll sit down and talk to them for five, ten minutes, you know, yeah. after their training or whatever, and make sure they're all squared away. So what's, it's actually funny when you think about it because they're getting rid of actually probably one of their best educational sources of information and replacing it with some douche that just doesn't even know how to train anybody. It's got a certification from you know, bumfuck on personal <laughs> training. Yeah. You know, it, it's it's absolutely asinine when you think Well, no, obviously it. you're right. I'm just saying that's how they interpret it because, you know, they just get fearful of, but, I mean, absolutely you're right. I mean. Yeah. Yeah, and, it's, and I understand how but, that I mean, that just continues, the, that just continues, the, you know, the, the cycle of misinformation, like you say, that just goes on and on and on. You know what I mean? So. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. Almost a visual no, intimidation as opposed to somebody being a totally rude, you know, a-hole or something like that. Yeah. You know what, though? They're out there, and we can't deny that. I mean, there's bodybuilders that are out there, and there's powerlifters, and there's straw men, and there's, I mean, there's all these guys that are out there, and they, they are assholes in the gym. You know, but at the same time, there's just as many assholes on the treadmills. <laughs> yeah. who, who, you know, being an asshole isn't part of a demographic group. I mean, it's just part of our whole society. It, it doesn't you know, have its own energy pathway, huh? Yeah, I mean, a certain percentage <laughs> of people are just assholes. <laughs> you know, so it's it's that's that's the other thing is you know all the all the weightlifters, you know, all the bodybuilders are all assholes. It's like no, that son of a bitch on the treadmill is a fucking prick. You know, <laughs> it's, it's everybody. Dave, you are like, blowing like, our PG thirteen rating, man. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I'll, I'll tame it down a little bit, but the, um, but it, I mean those are the kind of things that kill me. But it, in all actuality, it actually it helps my business. So because um, we don't have contracts with commercial chains, we probably never will. I mean that's up for Life Fitness and all those people to supply. You know we we build equipment which is for the hard hardcore use. So it's actually I want to see I want to see the people leave and start their own places. You know that's that's would benefit. My company greatly. And I, and I, like uh, I mean, the other thing that the facilities they they talk about is, you know, well they ruin the equipment. Well, no, you're buying junk equipment. <laughs> you know, it, they need to buy equipment that'll hold up to the loads as well. I mean, you can't expect yeah. to pay ninety nine dollars for a barbell and expect it not to bend on a seven hundred pound deadlift. You know what? Yeah. It's the machines that break all the time. It's not the freeway apparatus. Yeah. yeah. But so Dave, so are you? You know, we think of. We think of you know uh, powerlifters and weightlifters as being kind of the fringe element, but I mean, are are you kind of speculating that 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 those groups will become the mainstream uh, in time? No, 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 okay. no. Okay, no. they're just little subcultures. Yeah. But the mainstream really is is what I would call a strength enthusiast. You know, it's it's basically 
it's the guys who train at six o'clock in the morning. It's the guys who are getting their workouts in no matter what. All right, that's that's the demographic group I'm talking about. It's the yep. ones who are very serious about their training, um, but not so serious that they're competitors because competitors make up such a small percentage of the group that I'm talking about. You know, I'm I'm talking about the people that just love training. They're not in there just to get healthy. It's something pulls them in there that they just don't know what it is. It's a passion of theirs. Um, People who, I guess on a scale of 1 to 10, people who are above a 7 when it comes to really liking to train. Mm-hmm. You know, those are the people, they'll train anywhere as long as it's hardcore, as long as it's somewhat hardcore, they feel they can train hard. And it's, I mean, they'll walk into a high school weight room, they'll love that, you know. Um, those are the people that I'm talking about. There's, there, those are the ones that are going to have the longer lifetime value and they're the ones that are actually probably right now trying to find a way out of the gym that they're in. Yeah. But they don't even know where all these other small hardcore gyms are even at because they don't they don't promote themselves because they don't want <laughs> they don't want any more people. It's amazing. You know, Dave, you were talking about the two kinds of um, kind of demographics that people shoot for that gym owners shoot for, and the guys that you're talking about right there in the seven to ten range for motivation or or how much they love to train and everything. Those guys actually go into the gym, and I think one of the big things with, you know, Johnny Come Lately type gyms is that those guys they try to they hit them hard with like a once in a lifetime membership fee, you know, some kind of fee fee, and then those people rarely show up, or they they show up for a couple of weeks and they're totally gone. You know well, what I mean? How many of us have belonged to a gym and you've been there for two three years and you? you know, see the generations of these people come and go, and you see the same, you know, no matter what time of the day you're there, you always see the same, you know, 20, 30 people. But then later on you hear that that gym has, you know, both 10, 10 20,000 members, and you're thinking, wow, I mean. And you know what, and half of them or more, most of them are on auto-debit. You know, their accounts oh, yeah. are slowly, quietly being sapped from, yeah. The, yeah. from the gym itself. And I mean, no wonder that some people like that business model, because it's free money. Yeah. Well, yeah, yeah. See, the group I'm talking about are those 20 or 30 people that you see in there because, it's, to be honest with you, I don't care about all the other ones. You know, I my business evolves around taking care of those 30 that are in there to help them get in the best shape or as strong or whatever they want. I don't – That's those are the people that are going to leave, you know, eventually when, they're, when the option's given, they're going to be gone. They would be gone now if there was an option given to them. But at this point, there's there's really not, you know, and a lot of the powerlifting gyms and the ones that are out there right now are just too intimidating for a lot of these people to go to because, you know, you go there to watch a workout and it's taking them three hours to bench. Yeah. You know, and all, all you want to do is get your bench in. You know what I'm saying? It's going to take you five. It's like, hey, guys, can I get five minutes to get a few sets? I'll be done in five minutes. Well, I'll tell you, the thing you know, north of the border here is really abysmal with that type of thing. I mean, I'm in Toronto, and I can tell you it's just – I mean, they, one of the big chains up here, which I won't name, um, just opened up one of its flagship stores, right, kind of, you know, Grand Central, you know, in Toronto here. And I would just, for a joke last weekend, I walked in there just to kind of see what was going on. And, I mean, it's it, it's it's horrific. I mean, and there's really no options for anybody, you know, to find that, like you say, unless they're buying this equipment and outfitting their, you know, their garage or something <laughs> like that. What's these yeah. like? Who doesn't have their chickens put away right now? Yeah, what is that? <laughs> He's making lunch. Yeah. I'm keep you know, I think that I think there's I guess what I what I was saying in the in the T Nation article and what I've said before is those options are gonna begin to open up. And the the economy is gonna actually help it to a certain degree for the people who say the powerlifting gyms that are out there and I'm already seeing this now that I just said are a little intimidating. Well now I'm speaking to these guys and they're asking me, Hey, what can we do? to be a little less intimidating and more inviting to some of these 20 or 30 people are in the clubs that you're talking about because I'm losing people, you know, because of jobs or finances or they're really not losing them because they're still letting the lifters train there. It's just they're not paying because they don't have any work. Um, So they want to start being more inviting just to keep their own place open so they can train. And it's a selfish reason, but it's a reason and it will open it up because in every – I would say in just about every town, there is a garage, there is a basement, or there is a warehouse that you don't know about 
with people bringing in it right now. Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. I've always said that. There's always there's always a place everywhere that nobody knows about where there's where there's hardcore stuff going on. It might you be, know, yeah, so, might be only one of the things. One of the things we're working on for the second quarter is actually it's it's going to be an iPhone app, which is going to be a gym directory of those gyms. So you'll be able to pop it up on your phone and see what's in your demographic area. Wow. And then what it will do is it will actually, I mean, it, it, it's still going to protect the, the people who own the gyms. It's either going to say call or email first. I mean, they're going to have their option to program it however they want. Hmm. Um, so if you are on the road and you just need to get a workout in and you want a specific piece of equipment, and it's going to list the equipment, not like machines, but things that you would be looking for, maybe like if it's a kettlebell or sandbags or a monolift or a competition bench, it's fat bars, you know, things like that, bands, chains. Um, so you can see what they have. And it may end up being somebody's garage, you know, or it could be a basement or whatnot. But the cool thing is just being able to put them out there so people can see that they exist. And, I mean, the application will be explicitly clear. You know, these guys could say no, so don't get pissed and realize you're not going to walk into a five-star health club. Right. Well, that's a great you know, but it's yeah, it's it's definitely a very it's one of the things that we have on the agenda that's actually very very cool and actually pretty easy to do. That's a that's a everybody wins kind of thing too because you get people who are looking for the harder core gyms or the, you know, a certain kind of gym while they're traveling, but then like you said, it helps keep open the dungeon type gyms from just having to close their doors from lack of funds. Yes. Yes. Yeah, and on the back end, it shows us what equipment they have and don't have. <laughs> there you go. There you got to have a business angle for everything. There you go. <laughs> Sounds good. Um, maybe uh, you want to touch on your training right now. What are you up to? Um, about three years ago when I started with the, the world-famous Berardi thing, yes. when I retired from powerlifting <laughs> and had to straighten my diet around, I actually had to change the way that I was training. Being a competitive powerlifter for over 25 years, there's a lot of things that I can't do anymore because of um, injuries, and you know I'm trying to postpone a, a shoulder replacement for as long as I possibly can. So I can't. I don't have the flexibility to squat and won't until they actually replace it. So what what I was trying to accomplish over those three years is what's actually involved in, or evolved into what I call the stronger workout. And basically the way I structure my training now is it's broken down into four phases throughout the year. One phase is just to kind of get healthy, you know, muscle balance, conditioning, um, not real tight on the diet, but just a good clean diet, um, bring the body fat down a little bit, get the metabolic conditioning up some, um, and work on, like I said, the muscle balances and injury uh, prevention, rehab. And that, that's, that's actually the stronger workout phase one, which I have out now. And then the back end of that is a, a very, very short, high-intensity muscle-building program to set up phase two, which the, all four phases last the period of a year. Phase two is, is a strength phase. But the way that... I explain it to everybody else is every single one of us has a certain way that we love to train. It may be if you've boxed your whole life or if you've been in MMA your whole life or whatever it is, once you get to be 35 or 40, you can't box all year round anymore. Your body can't handle it because you've already thrown 9 billion punches. <laughs> but, you, but you can do it in bursts. Well, for me, it's that heavy strength training. I love that stuff. So I set up a strength phase, which will run about three to four months. I can go straight into that after, you know, a conditioning phase and a rehab phase. I can get healthy enough that I can run in through a strength phase, do real heavy singles and triples for about three months. And then if I try to extend it much longer than that, I'm going to start getting beat up again. Lower back will be in pain. I mean, just not injuries, but just that soreness that you get from doing the same stuff for four years. Yeah. Um, once I break out of that phase, I hit phase three, which is where I'm at right now, which is another transition. It's a muscle building phase, trying to put on as much muscle as I can because when, for myself, and I've noticed with others, when you do focus on just pure strength, some hypertrophy is going to be lost. The other thing that I do during phase two, which is the strength phase, is I have zero diet guidelines whatsoever. 
so that's kind of my break. Um, so I eat everything, you know, and I let my weight go up a little bit. I let my body fat go up about three or four points. Um, and I, I, I do this because when I used to powerlift years ago and I used the linear method of periodization, you know, you would peak for a meet, then you didn't do anything for eight weeks. I mean, this is so old school. You, if you've been around Charles and some of you, and Lonnie will remember this, you know, that, that's how everybody used to train. You know, you train for the meet, and then it's like, see you later, I'll see you in eight weeks. <laughs> you don't even go back to the gym. I mean, you just go, you just get fat, <laughs> out of shape. Well, then we yep. came back, and we all, we all needed that hypertrophy phase because we lost so much muscle and got so out of shape. Um, so I tried to put that getting out of shape aspect, at least conditioning-wise and diet-wise, with my strength phase. <clears throat> because from, from my own experience, nutrition is very important, but it's not as important during a strength phase as long as you stay in a calorie surplus. You know, as long as it's not under. If you're trying to diet and eat like shit, you know, if you're trying to eat low calories and eat like crap, well, then you're going to have a problem. Um, so anyhow, after that, I, I need to put some muscle back on. So I go through a quick phase like that. I start to tighten up my um, diet as far as I put in more high-carb days, um, a couple low-carb days. After that phase, I go into a diet phase, which will last 12 weeks. I don't know why I do it, but I do it every year. You know, <laughs> I try to go down to about 5%. What are you weighing right now? Right now, I'm, I'm uh, slightly down because I cleaned my diet up. I was 290 um, at the end of my strength phase, but I, we're talking eating like a hog. So I was 290 at about 15.5%. I let it go a little bit, about 3% higher than I wanted. Um, I wanted to stay about 12%, about 280. So I would say given right now today, I'm probably 270, maybe about 13% calibers. What's the heaviest you ever got to? 315, and I don't ever want to do that again. It felt like crap. <laughs> no, it was terrible. I mean, even <laughs> even now, because when, when I say, like, the strength phase now, my eating like crap, it's nothing like what it used to be. No, I've read you know, my eating. Yeah, my eating like crap. Still, like five meals a day. I'm still covering my basics. I'm just adding calories on top of it. Mm. Where before I just ate crap all the time. And it's. I think the difference now is I'm older, so my metabolism slower, so I don't need as many calories to gain the weight. Right. Yeah. As when I was younger. When I was younger, it was almost impossible for me to gain weight, no matter what I did. Did you, so, did you notice a lot of a difference in your strength between, like, say, 290 and 315? Did that extra 15, 20 pounds really make that much difference? Yes. Did it really? Yeah. yeah. And I think the reason for that was because the first thing you're really going to lose is going to be water and around the joints. Yeah, yeah. And so I'm losing that leverage with that. Um, actually, the, the weird thing is I would notice it a lot in my, a, a ton in my squat. Because even five pounds, it feels like your waist is five inches smaller. Absolutely. I've always, the first thing that goes when your waist starts going is a squat, for sure. Yeah, yeah. But during a meet, I would actually lose 10 pounds throughout the meet, you know, because I, I would bloat up as much as I could, you know, hyper bloat before the meet, so I would be as big as I possibly could when I squatted, <laughs> then would purposely try to get some of the water off because I deadlift better. Okay. If I don't have all that water around the joint. Okay. Dave, that could be a title of the next book, Hyper Bloat. <laughs> I Last year, this is a great story. Last year I did, um, two years ago I did a seminar in Boston for C.J. Murphy. And when I went out there, I was one week shy of finishing my diet. So I was probably about 5% body fat, 235. All right, so everybody there is just, they're used to seeing me at 280. You know, so Matt Kozolensky and Mark Bartley and a few other guys were there speaking with me, so they're just razzing me the whole time. Well, the next year I go, and I'm in the middle of a strength phase, and I was weighing about 280. So I got a hold of Justin Harris, and I said, look, I want to go into Boston this time as bloated as a cow. <laughs> I need you to design me a super bloat program. And he said, basically, he said, well, how much time do you have? And I only had three days because he wanted to actually sodium complete me before he sodium loaded me so it would hold even more. He gave me a diet, man. It was like three packs of Raymond noodles every hour with all waxy maize, um, Gatorade with salt, 
I ended up walking in there on Saturday morning for the seminar at about three fifteen, three twenty. <laughs> I mean, it was it was unbelievable. There was like watermarks everywhere I stepped. Oh I man! I felt terrible. Yeah. That's the stupid crap that I do, you know. And it's, but it, it, for for a power lifter, I will say that has extreme benefit if they can do that before me, but they're, they still have to make sure that their gear still fits. That's the problem yeah. nowadays. Yeah. <laughs> so that's well, my that's training good. now. <laughs> Sounds good. Sounds good. Let's go ahead and move on to the topic of the day, and uh, we'll hit that up, and then there's a, a lot of questions coming in. Let's do okay. it. Oh. Um, topic of the day is, uh, we've kind of touched on it quite a bit, but um, it's kind of de-evolving and simplifying training and nutrition. And it's just how people make things too damn hard and complicated when they don't need to, um, mm-hmm. be it in their diet and that, what they use. And uh, I brought this topic up because, I mean, it's about the most prevalent thing you see out there nowadays. I mean, people just feel like they need to weigh every freaking macro and eat, eat on the minute and, uh, you know, when... They're starting out with no foundation, and they're going to a stage-ready diet when they could just learn the simple foundation rules and, and same thing, with techniques of, of lifting before yeah. they go to all this, before they just complicate things, and they'd actually make better progress. Well, that's right. You know what? People, they obsess over minutia. They think, uh, you know, a couple of grams of this or that, creatine or leucine or... Uh, some special macronutrient profile and all this stuff is is gonna just t- take them over the top when they're just they're eating like birds, you know. And one of the things Dave was saying that I thought made a lot of sense was extending mesocycles, if you want to call them that, to year durations, you know, where you can actually take a year and just get strong and eat and and not have too many overlapping, undulating cycles, kind of, you know ebbing and flowing all the time because after a while you don't know if you're coming or going you know in a, in a year is long enough to see some real kind of biological changes you know well how often times have you seen guys who are just you know just began lifting and nothing happens for them because they're trying so hard you know they're they're trying to do right and they they read the magazines and they do you know they eat everything all clean do everything perfectly and nothing happens and two or three years later they start kind of like you know, throwing in the pizza, throwing in the few cheeseburgers, doing this, doing that, and all of a sudden, wow, I'm putting on size. I mean, that's what I like to say. I mean, they're, you see a lot of people, they're, they're spending all their time and energy stressing and thinking, trying to be a lifter or a bodybuilder. They don't have any energy left to actually be one. <laughs> they're wasting all their time thinking about it and trying to do the perfect plan instead of just getting into the gym and lifting stuff and, and eating. Right. Well, I had a guy one time that... um sent me an email and it was in regards to um, the waxy maize carbohydrate and his question was, meanwhile I'm thinking why are you taking it in the first place but I mean, his question was that there was a leftover derbis and powder in the shaker cup when he was done Oh no! and if he, if he was to add more powder with the next serving because he knew that there were still grams of carbohydrate <laughs> And it's it's like the guy that's, you know, Justin told me somebody asked him one time about the oatmeal that was, like, left in the bowl, you know, that, that was, like, he had to scrape it off to make sure he got it. You know, Justin's answer to him was, first off, you're being too anal, and second, don't worry, give it a few weeks. You'll find a way to start scraping it off the bowl. Um, <laughs> we used to get, like, endless letters at Muscle Mag, um, you know, and these are people who are taking the time to actually write letters in or so forth, you know, to a magazine with questions that run kind of along those lines. You know, like, is it okay if I do a fifth set of uh, curls after my fourth set? Uh, if, I did, if I just want to end off with, like, one set of preacher curls, is that, is that going to is that gonna be okay? And you're thinking, wow, this person took the time to actually write into a magazine to ask that question. You know, it's, Well, it's crazy, you know, because what, what the average child would take three to four years to learn the ABCs. But that's perfectly acceptable to these guys that are training. But they won't give it three years. 
you know, of consistent study and practice to try to become better in the gym. Mm-hmm. Yeah, very good you know, point. Every, everything has it's the the problem with most of the beginners and that I see is you need to be consistent for a long duration, and that still isn't going to guarantee it. Anybody can get an outstanding physical condition, but not everybody is going to look like a bodybuilder. Not everybody is going to have the strength of a powerlifter. I don't care what anybody says. There's genetic forces and factors that are going to be a part of that. They can definitely be a hell of a lot stronger than what they are, you know, but the problem is they'll stick with something for three or four months and then be like, man, I didn't put an inch on my arms and not realize that they just, in the last three or four months, they just actually learned what didn't work, yeah. you know, or they were laying the foundation. I mean, they, they, you know, they look at some of the people that are out there, and, yeah, there are bodybuilders that just sprout out of the woodwork. I mean, there are freaks in our society. I've seen them. I mean, I can't believe what some of these guys go from, you know, drugs or non-drugs. I mean, it's, holy crap. I mean, you see some guys that three years, two years. It's, they're like a pro, and they never worked out before. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, the, re- the, the the reality is that's not us, <laughs> you know, and I don't care who the person is. It's, it's probably not you either. You know, and if it is you, if it is you, you already know it, you know. And But those those are rarities. I mean, everybody else, it takes so long, and there's, there's so many people that I know that have been lifting weights for 30 years, you know, and they still might have 15-inch arms or 16-inch arms, and they've been trying for 16 years to put another inch on there. Um, they know a lot about what not to do, you know, but at it, the same time, maybe they, there's a big level of commitment that takes when you hit a weak point, too. Yeah. You know, and I think that's what scares a lot of the people off, is it's easy to make progress to a certain point, but when you get stuck, I mean, that's what you seriously need to start looking at you know, is this a nutritional problem? And if it is a nutritional problem, and I, I don't mean to say this to sound like articles suck and all that, but, you know, if it is a nutritional problem, well, then maybe you need to hire somebody who knows what the hell they're doing. You know, if it's a training problem, you need to hire somebody who knows what they're doing. The difference between today and when I was coming up, when I was coming up, I was fortunate to always have powerlifters around me to help. Today there's tons of qualified professionals out there who can help with these things. But so many of these guys, when they hit their first sticking point, it's like they they think they can figure it all out. Hell, I mean, they drop they drop a couple hundred bucks, they could be right back on track again. That's right. You know, and it's it's not a sales pitch. It's just how I seriously feel. I mean, if I could go back, you know, to and and say, oh shit, I could have hired this guy for two hundred bucks. I hire people now for my diet. You know, and I've been doing this for thirty years. Yeah. That's such a good you know, point, and and I actually I train at a weightlifting club, and I've been doing this stuff for for thirty years. So uh, I think that's a a very good point. I wanted to add too that you know a couple of months ago I wrote an article called Occam's Barbell, which is kind of a, a take on the concept of Occam's razor. And uh, you know in that article I made the point that so many people are incredibly overcautious when it comes to putting their diet together or their training program together. It's it's they're using kind of like the carpenter's uh, mantra, which is measure twice, cut once. And a- as if, you know, what, what people kind of forget is, you know, a training program is not a piece of wood. If, if you make a mistake, you can just change it. <laughs> You're not locked in for years and years. So uh, it's just interesting how novices just have that in, in, insane degree of, of caution uh, a- as if once you put a program into, into play, it can never be changed, you know. Well, they also think that there's the perfect program. Yes, exactly. You know, and that's the problem where there's the perfect diet. And you know, if, if they just if they just follow one guy's advice and quit changing all the time, they would probably do better as well. But um, I mean, it's not that complicated for beginners. It's, you, you almost want to throw your hands up in the air, like, "Come on, man, just go in the gym, do something three times a week, and and, and, and eat five times a day." Yeah, eat big and lift big to be big. I mean, there's truth in that, you know. Is that you, Lonnie? Whose little guy is that? Lonnie. (laughs) Well, at least we know somebody's listening. (laughs) (laughs) There you go. 
Well, I always tell young guys that you see in the, the gym that, I mean, if, if you really are intent on being, you know, big or strong um, impressively, it, this is not a short-term thing. You don't, you know, this is not something that's going to happen in a year or two. Um, you know, and that's that's the thing. I mean, so many guys will go in there and they think within a year or two they're going to look like the guys in flex, and it's like it's not going to happen. And then they get despondent about it because, you know, all of a sudden those gains start slowing down. You know, they get their first 15, 20 pounds like a, like nothing, and then year two, year three, slows down to 5, 10. And before you know it, like like Dave says, you know, they're all despondent because it's like, well, what's happening? You know, it's not I'm not making these big gains anymore. I, I don't look like Ronnie Coleman, and God damn it, I've been, I've been working out for a year and a half. You know, and well, here's I mean, here's here's probably the best advice that I've ever heard, and um, I think I actually read it from a guy named Billy Mimnaw. You know, he said when he was starting training, he was still a younger kid. You know, it, what, he he didn't even know what he was ever going to train when he went to the gym. His only goal was he knew where the big dudes were, so he was going to train as close to the big dudes as he possibly could mm-hmm. without bothering them, <laughs> just so he's around them enough. You know, so say after six months, he could actually say, you know, hey, can you give me a spot? Right. And within a year, he was training with the big dudes. He said that's when his training went off. So the best advice I can give beginners is try to hook up with somebody that's been training for a long time, but do not go in there and just say, hey, can we work out together from first go? Right. Because that's not going to fly. <laughs> well, that's what's like everything in life, right? If you want to be good at something, I mean, you know, find out where the good people are and freaking just, you know, hang around them and be around them. Yeah, I mean, it's almost like it's almost like dating, okay? If these, <laughs> if, if 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 the same guys, you know, the same eighteen-year-old, I'm sorry, twenty-one-year-old drinking age, you know, if they went into a bar, they'd have to be really drunk to walk up to a girl and say, "Hey, look, let's have sex." All right, if there's a girl you really like, you're going to try to court her, you're going to try to get to know her a little bit, then you'll ask her out. All right, it's the same thing with the guy in the gym. You're not going to go straight up and say, "Hey, can I train with you?" Right. You know, you're you're going to try to get to know the guy. Before that, because there's your wealth of information, mm-hmm. you know, and when you can train with people who are better than you are, and that was probably one of the best things that I ever did is when I started to become top dog in whatever gym I was at, I left and found another gym. That's something that takes a lot of strength of ego, though, because most guys can't do that. Most guys just, once they reach the top of their little pond, they want, they're want they just happy to be there because they're at the top of the pond, right? They're their ego won't allow them to to go out and seek people who are now better than them again. So that's yeah, well, my yeah, for me it was competing. I mean, in the, for me, you know, the, the ego came on the platform. All right, I wanted to be the best I could be on the platform. So if I was the strongest in the gym, but I was getting killed on the platform, I, I needed to get around stronger people. Right. You know, so I, I ended up at West <laughs> West Side of all places. So I can't, you know, I didn't walk out of there being the strongest. It, you know, there's the, that's like, you know, you can't get any higher than that, I suppose. Right. But that's how I ended up there is, you know, just gradually moving up through different gyms, you know, trying to learn training, trying to learn how people are doing it and, you know, using a lot of different methods over the years. And, you know, there's a lot of things out there that, you know, even with the West Side stuff, even when I was doing all the West Side seminars, you know, I'd have all these beginners. They want to jump straight in, straight in the West Side, and it's you know, I'm sitting there, and it's it's almost a contradiction because you're sitting there in a seminar and you're telling these guys, well, no, maybe you need to do a couple cycles of linear periodization before you think about that. Then you got the advanced guys saying, well, what are you talking about? You just said that didn't work, and it's like, dude, you got to understand, you're making this so complicated. You know, you want to know something. I, I I need to make a point here because, Dave, what you just said is so important on two different levels. And the first level is is that if you're listening in right now and you have a training partner who's ever flaked out on you, Dave, let me ask you, did you ever go to Westside and find out that the whole group flaked on you? <laughs> no, 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 no. Yeah, never that have. doesn't happen. And the other thing is this reminds me of the, the TV show The Dog Whisperer. And whenever they want to get a, a, a problem dog behaving better, they just put him in with a, a, his big pack of dogs. And it's very much the same thing. If you have problems when it comes to paralysis by analysis and all of this kind of stuff, if you join a group like Westside or any other serious group of trainers, that will be quickly extin- extinguished because they're all in motion doing the training and you're just either going to sink or swim and there really will be no room for that kind of paralysis by analysis. So it solves those two problems uh, in one fell swoop. Yeah, and it's, it's actually when you're dealing with, you know, a, a group such as Westside or Big Iron or Super Trainer or some of these other clubs, 
you're already weeding out so many of those people because they won't even walk through the door. Yeah. You know, because they, they don't want to get in there and know that they're going to get spanked every single time they train. Well, that's what I was saying about having, you know, strength of ego, to, you know, enough to yeah. say, hey, you know, I, I, I don't mind, you know, um, learning my weaknesses because it'll just make me stronger in the long run. And it's, it's, it's a good thing, but most people's egos, especially guys, they, they won't allow themselves to do that. Yeah, it's, that's, that's, just, that's always, for me, that's always kind of cracked me up because it's, I mean, bodybuilding, powerlifting, and, I mean, these are all individual sports. All you can do is make yourself better. You can't control the circumstances around you. And this is where I try to, with Under the Bar, and I, I'm writing, we're actually getting ready to publish Raising the Bar, which is a part two of that. It's, it's, it all kinds of, life is all the same thing. You know, these people, they're intimidated. They don't want to go in there. They don't want to be the small dog. But you know what? They're still the same dog inside. All right? It doesn't matter who's around you. You need to make yourself better, you know, and you need to put yourself in the position to make yourself better. You know, it's they're going to wait until they're good enough to go train with somebody else who's stronger, well, then they've completely lost sight of what they're really training for. Yeah. You see what I'm saying? I mean, we're training for personal betterment. All right, that's that's what it is. Or stress relief. I mean, everybody's got all these different reasons to train, but for the most serious people, we're training for personal betterment. You know, we want to be better. I guess there is no end of that sentence. <laughs> you know, well, we I mean, and that's a big argument I tell people, and I mean, it relates to powerlifting going on the platform. If, if you're spending so much time worried about what the other guy's doing, what numbers he's putting up, and how he's training, you're not spending enough time on yourself, getting yourself better. Because oh, yeah. you're the only one you control. You can't control what Jim's doing over there. All you can do is worry about getting your lifts better and fixing what's wrong with you. Right. That's 100% right. And but the first thing, they'll always blame their failures on everybody else. Yeah. You know, it's just, it's, it's a weird dynamic, and it's, it's compounded. In the first chapter in Raising the Bar, I talk about a philosophy called blast or dust. You know, and it's, <clears throat> when you're dealing with athletes who come from individual sports, you know, that I don't want to say they're so-called loners or whatever, but, you know, a lot of people will either fall on one end of the spectrum, blast or dust. You know, if it's a, if it's a linear line. You know, dust being doing absolutely nothing. I mean, you're not doing shit. Blast, you're just knocking things out left and right, 100%. So it's either all go or nothing. All right. Love it. These are the, these are the people that pretty much I know and and myself. Where it becomes interesting is when you take that linear spectrum and then you make it a bell curve and then you divide it 20, through the middle. And you see that 20% should be blast, 20% should be dust. It's kind of hard to do without a diagram to kind of show you all this kind of stuff. Um, but the reason people fall from the blast to the dust and don't really understand what's in the middle is because they've never taken time to see how it all fits. It's, it's a personality profile that I see a lot with individual sport athletes. Mm-hmm. It's, it's all go. It's fight, it's fight or flight. I see it with entrepreneurs. I see it with businessmen. You know, they just blast like they can't believe. And then you're like, dude, where are you been? And it's like they completely disappeared off the planet for two months. Then they come out again and they got like 12 new products. But then they disappear again. And it's just this boom, 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 back and forth. And that's just kind of how they work. Where it gets troublesome is when that person doesn't understand that there's 80% that falls between those two, and that's called life, and everything falls out of balance. Because you can't, if you, if you actually made that linear graph a barbell, you can't lift a barbell from one end or the other. You know, you have to lift it from the middle. Um, so the, the key with, that, pers- with the, that personality type, and it's probably confusing everybody right now, is you can't really change who you are, because I'm a blaster dust guy, I'll be the first to admit it, you know. So if I'm training or if I'm dieting or whatever it was, that's how I can stay so committed to what I'm doing because I just lock into it and nothing's going to stop me from doing what I'm doing. But when you're locked in like that, you got to also understand that you're making sacrifices and there's a lot of other things that you're not paying attention to in your life. Mm-hmm. All right. Great and so, yeah, so those things need to be 
paid attention to in the off season or whatnot. But for the most for the most part, most of the people who live in that blast dust type of lifestyle, they don't even understand what they're doing. All right, so the, those are the people that will be telling you, man, my marriage is falling apart, you know, my kids hate me, da 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 da, all this other kind of stuff. And you're like, well, do you even realize that you're either all that you're all or nothing? And once they realize that, then they can work with it. You can't change it, but you can work with it. You know, when you realize it and set those things apart. But it's I can go on forever about this. Let's get back on topic. Love it. I'll look forward to the book coming out. Yeah, totally. I think well, we let's, let's go ahead and. Uh, Move to the questions. There yeah. We got quite a few. Yeah. And, uh, okay. I'm going to, we've answered some through, through all the talks here, but, uh, Kevin in Spring Park, um, Spring Park wants to know the favorite ab strength exercises for football. Strength exercises for football. Ab, abdominal strength. Abdominal strength exercises for football. Yep. Well, here's what I'll do. This is basically the cop out. I don't train football players. <laughs> okay, I train people. I train people for maximum strength and to get bigger. That's my area of specialty. Uh, I do not work directly with football players. So what I would rather do in a question like this is kind of just to defer it off to any of you guys that have worked with football players for for you to answer the question. Bonnie? I can tell you how to do, how to train abdominals <laughs> for a bigger squat and deadlift, you know, but that's about as far as my comfort level will allow me to go on that one. Charles, <laughs> come on, anybody have any answers? I mean, I tell him it depends on what level he's at. I mean, it's hard to say, but I mean, I think just a healthy diet of basic moves is going to get your core strong enough to handle most anything you'll find on the football field. I mean. If you get in there, squat, bench, and deadlift, and clean and press, and and do strongman events like flipping tires and, and farmers walks, and you know your core is going to be doing what it has to do in a game. I mean, you're not going to get on the field and have to do crunches. Well, so I, you need you need to hold your core up against a load. You know, when you hit another player, when you have something on your back or run into something. So yeah, no, that, that I prescribe to that. Aside from just straight bar squats, I, I, you know, there was some of the guys just this morning on the football team over in the field house, they were doing like a heavy ball, you know, they would hold it above their head and they would just basically play catch with a bounce in between, if that makes sense to you, where they're just driving that ball as hard as possible about midway to a guy who's maybe 15, 20 feet away, then he'd catch it and he would have to break, you know, by grabbing it and bringing it over his head, then he would bounce it back. I see that kind of stuff going on with the... Uh, the football guys quite a bit. What, what I will kind of ring in and say is, when it, regardless of you know if it is a lifter or not, my my basic premise on core work with strength training is, in all honesty, you can't go wrong because most people don't do it. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? So we can sit here and, okay. and you know they could all say ab wheels, hanging leg raises, weighted pull downs. It does. It doesn't really matter because you can't go wrong because you're probably not doing any ab exercises at all now. <laughs> and that's, that's, that's the reality. I mean, that's what I see, you know, when you look at lifters and when you look at athletes. It's like, okay, what type of torso training are you doing? And there's none. Okay, pick up a book. Flip yeah. to the chapter on abs. Pick one. Think how different that is from a, a lot of martial arts systems. I know Charles has background in, in that as well and how the core movements are – and core training is just a huge part of the way those sports and those lifestyles work, you know. Yes. Great. All right. Let's with, 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 with power lifting and with heavy lifting, the core is it's huge. And it's it's almost the same premise of the martial arts. Not only do they, the power lifters have to have a strong core, or for the squad you have to have a strong core, you need to be able to find your core. You need to be able to find your center just to be able to support the weight. All right, now, it's, I don't want to get over people's head, but, I mean, there's a lot of things where you'll see where people are squatting and they just kind of take it out and they're loose. You know, a good squatter, they're going to take it out and you're going to see the, the weight kind of settle in and you're going to see them going to their core. You're going to see them finding their core, finding their center before they even break the hips to begin to squat. So that's where, you know, even for a – I'm glad you brought up the martial arts training because for um, a football player or any type of athlete – 
a lot of that martial arts type of training on how to find your core, and this is different than training your core, maybe Charles can expand on it, is extremely important for any sport. Oh, I'm sorry, what did you want me to expand on? <laughs> well, just the, just the basic philosophy of, you know, in martial arts, or I call it finding your core. Yeah, well, you know, in the martial arts, there's always a lot of talk. You always hear this concept of initiating movement from the center. You know, you don't initiate from the extremity. The extremity is what finishes it off. It, it's initiated through the center. So um, that maybe is a slightly obscure, but it'll give you guys something to think about. Yeah. All right, let's move on here. Um, Todd and Swepson, Todd Swepson in Columbus, Ohio. What indicators do you use uh, before you start young kids, and at what age do you let them start to bench squat, deadlift, start pushing themselves? I got a four and a six year old. <laughs> They're lifting right now. Um, you know what? It, it, I don't know if there's indicators. I've read a lot of different things, and there's, you know, some of the other people on the board are probably more well-read than me on this. Um, you know, I've, I've read, you know, testicular size, you know, as soon as the penis drops lower than the, you know, the balls or whatever it is, then they're ready. You know, there's a lot of different things out there, but when you're dealing with, younger kids, I'm talking young, young kids like who mine are, when I say that they're training, what I'm really saying is, except for my one son who's got some sensory issues that he has actual three-day-a-week or three-times-a-day workouts, um, it's just bringing them in the gym, letting them mess around. If they pick up a medicine ball, walk over and throw them how to, how to throw it back down. You know, have some broomsticks or what do they call those things, body bars, really light bars. Just let the kids become introduced to it at their own speed. You know, my, my little four-year-old, he'll kind of walk over and he'll set up the squat rack and put in the little body bar and sit on a bucket, you know, and stand back up. I'm not going to walk over there and reinforce his technique and all this other kind of stuff. I'm just going to let him play around and have fun. And when he's done, he'll go play his Nintendo DS or whatever it's going to be. Um, I just think at the younger age it's important to have them in that environment, to have them in there. Even if they just come in and they sit in the corner and play their video game or whatever they're going to do, get them around it, but do not push them away from it because too many parents do that. And then from there, they'll, they'll, they'll let you know, and it's, I'm more from coming at this from a mental standpoint and a child's mental development standpoint than I am physical standpoint because too many kids I see and we see this all the time they'll excel in sports through sixth seventh eighth grade and then they're done you never see them again you know they're either specializing too soon or they had too much pressure put on them your kids will let you know when they're ready just put them in the environment to at least be exposed to a healthy lifestyle and let it go from there now, I'm not going to have my four- and six-year-olds running around here trying to do barbell cleans and all this other kind of crap. If you know, if they want to do something, then I'll go put them on one of the machines and I'll put it on something to where you know, it's at least safe for them. I mean, you don't want to be an idiot. Um, competitive lifting, I started when I was 13, but I was, more, I was a very mature 13. Um, that will be my take on it. I'll let you guys run from there. I, no, I think very well said. Yeah, I think that's yeah, well said. Uh, Jerry from Twin Cities. Dave, uh, people have told me that I need a CFCS or some other training degree, but I'm a doctor who's been feeding powerlifting for 30 years. Um, he's been in the Nationals twice, regional meets, yada, yada. Um, he sees all these guys with exercise certificates that don't know their heads on their ass. Uh, does he need a certificate to be taken seriously and to train people, in your opinion? Yeah. <laughs> I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to go out on the edge here, and I'm going to say, yeah, and I'm going to tell you why, because what, what, a, what a certification is, and I do think the CSCS is a good one, you know, if you're eligible to take that. I don't know if it – when I took it years ago, you had to have a degree in a related field. I don't know if that's still the same or not. Yeah, um, Okay, what, what a certification is going to at least provide is a minimum level of intelligence so you don't hurt somebody. That's the first thing it's going to do. Is what you're going to take on that certification going to be what I would consider the right strength training knowledge? No. Is it ever? No. 
All right, but at least it's providing that minimum level of knowledge. The other thing it's going to do is it's going to allow you to be able to afford liability insurance on a group plan instead of having to pay otherwise. Where where the real education is going to come from is what you can never fail trying to get more educated. Okay, so I will guarantee just going through the CSCS, while I disagree with a lot of the stuff there, you're going to learn something. All right, well, then from that standpoint, there's a lot of different fellowships, mentorships um, that are out there now where I think that you can get a very, very, very good education far above what you're going to get from any type of certification. I mean, it's Charles has got one, and, you know, I, I have one, and Alan's got one. and I mean, there's a lot of places that you can go where you basically will have access to people who have been around for a very long time. And for mine, I limit it to two or three people tops, you know. So basically, you can suck everybody dry in two or three days and gain a huge level of knowledge that would far exceed any type of certification. But do you have one, you know, will it ensure that you're going to exceed? No. Nothing can ever ensure you're going to exceed or succeed. Um, will it help you? Yeah. You know what, if I could just add something real quick there. It, it's the same principle with education that it is with training and lifting, is that build a base and those kind of certifications, whether it's uh, nutrition and dietetics or whether it's strength coaching, those are entry-level certificates that are supposed to give you a base, not make you, you know, end-all, be-all, king, god of training or eating. So they are that kind of base, just like you'll, you want to build a base with uh, training or eating. Yes, that's, that's exactly a great point. The other thing I would like to put in there is it's great to be educated. It's great to have the certifications and all that other kind of stuff. But if, if you're going to submit a resume someplace, and you have like 900 certifications, you don't have to list every single one of them. You know, just just put the top few on there because I don't hire trainers, but for some reason I still get resumes from some people. I, I had one the other day that was three pages of certifications. The guy listed every freaking seminar he ever went to. You know, I don't care. Yeah, that's funny you said that. I just had some new business cards made, and I got—I actually took my certifications off. I just left my PhD on there because all the other stuff, you know what, if they really want to know, they can ask. Yeah, exactly. All right, let's do required for the job. They will ask. Okay. Let's do one more, and uh, we'll call it a day. Uh, Danny from Wilmington, North Carolina, wonders, uh, what do you think of Jim Windler's approach to diet? <laughs> <laughs> Jim, Jim is Jim. Um, his here's the thing. I mean, it's we. This whole show has been about one thing, and that was don't overcomplicate things. Um, Jim and I both have a friend. His name is um, Eric Smith, who's a sales associate. You know, with one of our wholesalers. Eric went from. I think close to 380 pounds down to 270 pounds. And when I was down in South Carolina, I asked him, how did you do this? And he said, you know, he said, you know Dave, all I did is I quit drinking beer and I stop eating when I'm hungry. That's it. You know, he lost 100 pounds, you know, because he just quit drinking beer and quit eating when he was full. You know, and so that's Jim's philosophy on diet is basically don't be an idiot, you know, everything in moderation. You know eating, you know, as I'll write about how cool it is, you know eating a bag of Oreos probably isn't the right thing to do. So don't do it. <laughs> you know, it's the, same, it's the same standpoint. If you're burning an insane, insane amount of calories in your training, you know, the guy's pushing the prowler. I mean, he's doing all this metabolic type of training quite frequently. It's going to be very, very hard, you know, for him to even store fat with the number of calories that he's burning. So his basic, you know, philosophy is you know what's healthy and you know what's not. Just do more of what's healthy than what's not. And if you do that and you want to sit down and have a plate full of nachos, hey, have the plate full of nachos. You know, if the majority of your diet's clean, you're, you're set. Yeah. 
Yeah. You know, it's 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 there's two different. I have a hard time with that type of philosophy for myself. Jim's one of those guys that's a more balanced type of guy. You got to keep in mind, I'm one of these blast and dust guys. I'm one of these guys that you know, put me on a carb cycling plan, I'm going to knock it out of the park. All right. Then when it's over, I'm going to eat whatever I want, whenever I want, how much I want. You try to put me in the middle, it screws me all up. I don't know what to do. All right. I have a very hard time with this whole moderation thing. All right. So this is where you got to kind of understand what your personality type is like. Because if, if your personality type falls like mine, well, then you're going to be better on a more rigorous set type of diet plan that has breaks built into it. Then you're going to be somebody saying, well, just eat in moderation. Well, that don't work for me. You know, you give me Oreos, I'm going to eat the whole bag. You know, or I won't eat any of them for six months. Right. You know, it's just, it, it's, so yeah. what do I think of it? I think it's, I think it's actually a great plan. I personally can't do it. <laughs> but at the same time, if I threw out the carb cycling program that Justin has laid out for me and I said, here, you guys do this, 90% of you are going to say, oh, hell no, I'm not doing that. Yeah. All right, so it's finding what works for you in the most simplified manner. I think that's that. Yeah, that's great advice. Well, um, that's all I got for the day. I just, thanks for coming, Dave. Thanks, Thank Dave. you. Dave, you're awesome. Thanks so much. Thanks, man. Uh, everybody follow the links. Uh, go to Lee Fitness. Check out the stuff. Until next time. The Iron Radio Podcast and all of the audio on ironradio.org is for information purposes. If you're interested in starting a diet or an exercise program, it's important to check with your physician. Also seek the help of registered dietitians, athletic trainers, and qualified exercise physiologists in order to